If you have your Bibles, and I hope you do, turn to the book of Revelation, the book of Revelation, last book in your Bible. I'd like you to go to Revelation chapter five. And as you go there, I'm gonna read your mind because some of you are thinking, really? It's Easter, Lloyd. This is not a time to talk about dragons coming out of the water with the head of a leopard or the woman clothed with the sun and the moon under her feet. And uh, I will agree with you on that. The book of Revelation, no doubt, it's apocalyptic literature. It speaks of the end times. It's it, it, as, as a literary framework. It uses this symbolic language that just kind of blows your mind. You can't even picture some of this stuff. Uh, to, to reveal the truths of God. But the main message of the revelation is this, that one day, one day, God is gonna make all things right. That one day, all things are gonna be as they were meant to be. It's not this moment, because we're here, <laughs> And it's not all right, but it could be the next hour and it could be the next day, but it's one day God will bring to completion that which he began. And that is inseparable from Easter, from the resurrection. See, tomorrow morning, you and I will get up tomorrow morning. Who knows if it'll be early or a little later. It doesn't matter, but we'll wake up in these fallen bodies into a fallen and broken world where broken people hurt each other and broken families shatter dreams and broken institutions disappoint us and nations that are broken don't get along And our bodies will keep breaking down no matter how well we eat or how much we exercise. And we ask this question when all of that seems to swirl around us, not always, but in those certain moments, we may not say it out loud, but deep in our heart, our hearts, we wonder is that day really coming when God will wipe away every tear where there will no longer be any death, injustice, evil, harm, no more crying, no more tears, and no more pain? Revelation 5 answers that question. And it takes us to the cross to do so. I want to give you a context because normally, of course, we're teaching through books of the Bible here, but we're in this passage for a reason today. It's our Easter text. But I want to give you a context. Revelation 4 and 5 occur in the throne room of God. And, and we're going to pick this up at chapter 4 in a moment, just one verse. But, but we're going to find the Spirit puts John and therefore puts you and I today uh, in the throne room where God the Father sits upon his throne. Uh, there is lightning flashing as it's described. There's thunder pealing, lamps are burning, strange creatures and 24 elders. They're all speaking with one voice. You gotta, it's, 
you gotta use your sanctified imagination. Look at chapter four, verse 11, and this is what they say. Worthy are you, our Lord and our God, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things. Because of your will, they existed and were created. It is no exaggeration to say that as we move through this text, John is placing us with him in the throne room of God. And it is holy ground that we stand on. Now, I'm going to ask you to do something. And those of you who are guests, you know, this is kind of weird. And and we kind of do these things sometimes. But you don't have to do this. Please hear me when I say that. But I think it appropriate that in this particular text, we take off our shoes. I am not going to ask you to give them, which has been done before. But I mean it when I say, if you feel comfortable to take off your shoes, which I am doing with these brand new Easter kicks I've got up here that some of you've noticed, bright and shiny. Why do we do that? Well, we're mindful in the scripture when Moses spoke to the bush that burned but didn't burn. God said, it's holy ground, this message you receive. Take off your sandals. Joshua, when he met the captain of the Lord's army, just before Jericho, he said, take off your sandals, Joshua. You're standing on holy ground. And I I, I really am not doing this for exaggeration or hyperbole. I'm doing it just experientially for us to say, this is, we're in the throne room of God. Would it not be appropriately appropriate? And in some way, we acknowledge that beyond just me saying it. We take off our shoes because we are standing on holy ground. Now chapter five, I'll move through rather quickly. It is three parts. I'll repeat these as I teach them. We're gonna look at a weeping apostle and then we're gonna look at a worthy savior and then we will end with a worshiping creation. And we'll join that creation at the end. We begin in verses one through four, a weeping apostle. Follow along in your Bibles. John records what he sees. I saw in the right hand of him who sat on the throne a book written inside and on the back sealed up with seven seals. And I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, who is worthy to open the book and to break its seals? And no one in heaven or on the earth or under the earth was able to open the book or to look into it. Then I began to weep greatly because no one was found worthy to open the book or to look into it. Notice John mentions a book three times. Repetition, we always look for that in Bible study. Three times he mentions this book. It's literally a scroll, rolled up parchment. He says it's written on the back and in in the, the inner contents. And this is strange. You see, when they wrote on scrolls in those days, one side of the scroll would be smooth, but the back side would be very textured and difficult to write on. They didn't normally write on the back. And so we note, oh, this scroll is full. We'd say it this way. The scroll is complete. It's sealed with seven seals. 
The number seven, many of you know this. What does the number seven represent in the Bible? Perfection. It's the number of completion. Seven seals, just like the seals you would buy today at a craft store if you bought the wax and put it on an envelope and then and put your initials in it, your ring or whatever, and therefore sealing that only to be opened by who it's intended for, correct? Well, there's seven of these seals. It's, can we say this? Perfectly sealed. Not to be opened by anyone except who it's intended and who's qualified to open it. The proclamation goes out to every corner of the universe. It goes out across the entire globe and then it goes under the earth, i.e. it goes to the dead. Is anyone worthy? Is anyone able to open the scrolls? Now, this goes, you see, not just to the farthest reaches of heaven, but it goes back to Adam and Eve and the question is asked from Adam and Eve of every human being who has ever walked the planet and all those who are now buried under the ground, is anyone worthy, any angelic being worthy? And the answer is no. And John begins to weep. This is no light cry. This word Weep is the same used of Peter when he denied Jesus the third time. It says Peter went out and he wept bitterly. This is a bitter lament. He is wailing, you all, that no one can open the scrolls. And I wonder, you know, and I think we can wonder, we go, what is in the scrolls that would have him so bitterly despondent? And we have to step back from this text to see the revelation as a whole and the Bible as a whole to understand this. And this unfolds, by the way, in the next few chapters and the rest of Revelation. But let me tell you what's in the scrolls. We know what's in the scrolls. What is in the scrolls is the final unfolding of God's redemptive plan. God promised in the book of Genesis to redeem a people in the planet. And now we're in the last book of the Bible. And in these scrolls contain God's plan to conclude, to set all things right in the end, sealed in these scrolls. The next question we may ask is, he's, why is he weeping that no one can open them if we know what's in them. Well, we know what's in them because he did open them in the text. But there's another reason he's weeping. To open those scrolls is to bring God's plan to reality. If I said it another way, it's in the mystery of God's providence to open the scrolls is to bring them into being. Are you with me? It's to bring them into being now. If you had all the gold in Fort Knox, but you didn't have the key, and there's no one on the planet or the universe that does, you see, it's of no, 
Oh, it's yours, but it's of no value. And what's in these scrolls makes all the gold in Fort Knox, you all, look like one tiny piece of glitter on your finger. Now, I want you to know, there is no big reveal for us. Like, I bet you don't know who's the worthy one. You know, I mean, we know who the worthy one is, right? I mean, we know who is worthy. The question is, I think, why doesn't John? Do you ever think about that? Why wouldn't John know? No, don't. Jesus is worthy. We can't be dogmatic on this, but may I suggest the history of redemption gives us, and the biblical story gives us some clues to this. I want you to picture up here a timeline and imagine that this, this podium is the cross. The resurrection of Jesus occurred here in the passage of time. It occurred here. When John saw this vision, when, when the Spirit opened his eyes to see this vision, he is an old man. Uh, we believe that the, the, the vision and the recording of that vision in this book called Revelation was, uh, happened in about 95, 96 AD, okay? So John is out here, 95, 96 AD, receives the vision, it's recorded. Now you see there's a distance between the cross and where John is, and let me tell you what some of the things that happened between the cross and where John is. See, it's been 60 years since the resurrection of Christ, since the birth of the church, when thousands came to faith within days, signs and wonders. That was 60 years ago. It's been 50 years since the first great persecution of the church, when the church was crushed in Jerusalem, so to speak, after the stoning of Stephen, and right, the, ch the church, i.e. the groups of Christians, now they scatter throughout the empire. About 20 years from 95 AD, go back to 70 AD, it's been about a 20 year span since the city of Jerusalem was wiped off the face of the earth. Now you think about what that looked like and felt like for a Jew. I, I, I don't mean this to be diminishing of any city here, but if Chicago were wiped off, it would not carry the significance of Jerusalem, the city of God, where God said, this is where my name will be. You understand, John's out here, 80, 95, 96, and 20 years ago, Jerusalem was wiped off the face of the earth by Titus. And now, we're actually in the second great persecution. John's in it, under Domitian, Titus's brother. Titus hated Christians, as did Domitian. And to cap it all off, the apostle John is sitting on a rock in the middle of the sea, probably in a cave, in exile. The rulers of this world have picked him up out of the promised land and set him on this rock to die. And I describe that to say, could it be, John is wondering, 
is it going to turn out okay? You know, I wear my it's going to be okay bracelet. Is it going to be okay? Is it going to be okay? I'm not saying he, he loses his faith. Listen, he doesn't lose his salvation. None of that. Don't hear me say that at all. But can it be? Surely, with things having gone the way they've gone, the question arises. And how will it happen if no one can open the scrolls? The late W.A. Criswell, I think he describes the tears well. Quote, John's tears represent the tears of all God's people through all the centuries. They are the tears of Adam and Eve as they watered the dust of the ground with their tears over the silent, still form of their son, Abel. They are the tears of the children of Israel in bondage as they cried unto God in their affliction and slavery. They are the sobs and tears wrung from the heart and soul of God's people as they looked on their dead standing beside open graves as they experienced the trials and sufferings of life, heartaches and disappointments indescribable, end quote. John's tears are our tears. They're my tears. They're your tears. When we find ourselves in that perfect storm of circumstances gone awry, bad news, lost hope, and those are our tears. Will it be okay? We may never ask it this way, but what's underneath our questions, will it be okay in times of great trial and discouragement? What's under that question is this. Who can open the scrolls? Who can open the scrolls to bring about God's conclusion of his redemptive story. Which takes us to a worthy savior. This is the middle section of the chapter. Look at verses five through 10. And one of the elders said to me, stop weeping. Behold the lion that is from the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has overcome so as to open the book and its seven seals. And I saw between the throne with the four living creatures and the elders a lamb standing as if slain, having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. And he came and took the book out of the right hand of him who sat on the throne. When he had taken the book, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb, each one holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song saying, worthy are you to take the book and break its seals for you were slain and purchased for God with your blood, men from every tribe and tongue and people and nation. You have made them to be a kingdom and priests to our God, and they will reign upon the earth. John does not, is not left, nor are we left to wonder, you all, who's the worthy one. It is undeniable 
He begins, the lion that is of the tribe of Judah, a reference to Genesis 49, when Jacob blessed his sons and he blessed Judah, the tribe of Judah, and said the scepter of rulership will never leave the tribe of Judah, i.e. the Messiah will one day come from the tribe of Judah. He says the root of David, quoting Isaiah 11, Isaiah prophesied, and he said a shoot will spring from the stem of Jesse, i.e. from Jesse, who is the father of David, a root will spring, i.e. the Messiah, the king, will be a son of David, the king. A lamb standing as if slain. A lamb that has been slain, but is now standing. When John wrote his gospel, he recorded John the Baptist looking at Jesus walking before he baptized him. And what came out of John the Baptist's mouth were these words, behold, the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And he was pointing at the God man, Jesus. It wouldn't be revelation if we didn't have this, would it? Seven horns, seven eyes, seven spirits. Horns in the Bible are symbols of strength. Eyes in the Bible, symbols of wisdom and knowledge. This is apocalyptic language describing the deity of Jesus. How many horns, how many eyes? How many? What does seven mean? Perfection. This lamb is omnipotent, all-powerful, omniscient, all-knowing, and omnipresent. This lamb is fully God. And then the new song, if there's any doubt, worthy are you, lamb, to take the book and break its seals because you were slain and purchased for God with your blood, men from every tribe and tongue and people and nation. You all, there's only one person this could even begin to describe, the Lord Jesus Christ whom we pondered on Good Friday over here in the barn and, and Franklin as well in Good Friday services and we noted that it was our sin that held him to the cross and we, we hammered our sins into the cross. It was our sin that held him there. He died on our behalf. He paid the penalty that our sin brought. He was buried and he rose again for he had no sin of his own and therefore he's the one righteous sacrifice and he therefore can say all who believe that what I did, I did for you. Your sins are forgiven. You're clothed in my righteousness. You are in a right standing with God right now and forever and you are a priest unto God and you will reign with God one day. That's Jesus. Think about John again. John walked with Jesus for some three years. Saw, I mean, he listened to him, literally touched him. He slept near him. They traveled together. He saw the miracles. He watched him crucified, buried. After he was risen, John, John, this John, he 
He talked to the risen Christ. He touched him. And then John wrote a gospel account. Can you imagine the work that went into that? And the Holy Spirit inspired him to write this gospel account, the gospel of John. And then the Spirit inspired John to write three letters that we have in our Bible. It's the word of God, 1 John, 2 John, 3 John. And now John's receiving this vision. He'll record the revelation. And why I say that is to say, it seems the Spirit knew that John having done and known all that, needed to be reminded that the resurrection guarantees the completion. The one day, you see, that's future, is as sure as the resurrection. That's how certain our hope is that the day is coming when there will be no more death, no more tears, no more crying, no more pain. What does Revelation 5 say here? It says, God's in control. Jesus is worthy to open the scrolls. And the resurrection of Christ guarantees the completion of God's redemptive plan, which leads to a worshiping creation. Look at the ending. Verse 11, then I looked and I heard the voice of many angels around the throne and the living creatures and the elders. And the number of them was myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands <coughs> saying with a loud voice, worthy is the lamb that was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and might and hope and honor and glory and blessing. Let's stop there for a moment. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven the fullness of glory and all that it is, is Jesus. And every created thing which is in heaven and on the earth and under the earth and on the sea and all things in them, I heard saying, to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb be blessing and honor and glory and dominion forever and ever. And the four living creatures kept saying, amen. And the elders fell down and worshiped. And this is both staggering and shocking. Why is it staggering? Well, as he speaks here, we understand the, 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 those who worship will be countless in number and absolutely it will be comprehensive of all creation. It's staggering what he describes. Every created thing. When we were at the uh, early morning service and I, I was teaching and, and we're, of course we're out there, my feet were frozen. There was frost this morning, you all. It was out there, frost, you know, and everyone's feet are freezing. But I said, you're sitting outside. I want you to understand when he says every created thing, he means the grass and this water and the sky and the moon that was still up and the sun that's rising and the stars that are there at night and the trees and the birds. Everything. Which is what the Psalms say. The heavens are clapping at the glory of God. It's staggering and it's shocking. Why? Because even those who refuse to put their trust in Christ in this life, they will declare 
Jesus, you are who you said you were and you did what you said you did. They will declare the truth about Jesus. Hear me. This is not universalism. This is not, you know, in the end, everybody's okay. No, it's not. It is to say this, that in the end, no one will be able to deny the truth of Christ. That's what I'm saying. So those who do not trust Christ in this life, you see, in that moment will say, you are the son of God. You died, you were buried, and you rose again. It's true. And they will spend an eternity knowing that and separating, separated from God in that. That's hell. Those who trust Christ in this life will declare that with deep gladness and spend an eternity with our heavenly Father, our Savior. And it just hits me that I go, you know, that's why we exist. That's why we're a church. Our mission, I mean, we're not here just to sing songs and go to church on Sunday. We're here because we've put our faith in Christ and you may be here and have not yet, but if you put your faith in Christ, understand this church exists to help people who don't know Jesus, know Jesus in time before it's too late. That's our mission. And the text ends, they fell down and worshiped. So may we. Close your Bibles. I'm going to invite you to do something. I'm going to ask you to close your eyes, please. Just close your eyes. And let's think for a few moments quietly. If you have never put your faith in Christ, may I invite you to trust him right now? Why not now? I don't know where you are, but if if for some reason today it makes sense to you, the gospel, the good news, what Jesus has done, then believe it today. You can tell God quietly, you can whisper it, you can think it in your heart that you're turning from trying to find life on your own and you're turning to him. You can tell God that you believe that Jesus died on the cross for your sin, that he was buried and he did rise again and he did that for you. You can tell God that. And if that is the belief of your heart, you can with great confidence in the authority of Scripture thank God that your sins are forgiven, past, present, and future. You are declared righteous, 
not because of what you do, but because of what Jesus has done and your trust in him. If you have put your trust in Christ in these moments, may I say to you, welcome to the family. And one of the most important things you can do is to tell someone, to tell someone before the sun sets tonight that you've trusted Christ so that that person can help you take your first steps of growth. It's a relationship that you'll grow in over time. Now, with every eye closed, I want you to imagine. Yes, God gave us imaginations. And you can think with a sanctified mind. And I want you to picture yourself in the biblical scene. You are with John on the island of Patmos. Some of you have been there, you know. You are in the cave where it is believed John received this vision. The cold stone and moist air and thick darkness are fitting reminders of John's hope right now. And you can feel it with him. Things have not gone as he had hoped they would. This womb of stone makes it difficult for John to see any light, any path out of this shadow of darkness. Jesus had promised that he was coming soon to make all things as they were meant to be. Where tears are no more, sadness is extinct and death no longer rules but he has not returned. And the kingdom the church brings seems to be losing, not gaining ground. And John's hope is being washed away. Now in a flood of tears that no one is worthy to open the scrolls. then the spirit stops his weeping tells him to look upon a lamb standing as if slain and your eyes turn and see the lamb the lamb that was killed but did not remain dead and the light of the gospel begins to stir in John's heart and he is reminded that the ways of God are not the ways of this world. He's reminded that God suffers in order to redeem. That the way of the cross means we lose in order to gain. In weakness, we are strong.
In suffering, we are sanctified. In cold, wet caves, our defeat is only apparent defeat. For Christ's greatest defeat on the cross is in fact his greatest victory. And our ground for hope. God conquers death by death. And it is only in dying that we live. And in that moment, the stone is once again rolled away and the light of life eternal in Jesus scatters the darkness and the new song, worthy is the lamb, begins to rise. the light from getting through do you wish that you could see it all made new it's all creation groaning is a new creation coming Is the glory of the Lord to be the light within our midst? Is it good that we remind ourselves of this? Is anyone worthy? Is anyone
of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things and in him, all things hold together. And he is, he is, head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. I'm gonna ask you a question that has only one answer. He is. And I invite you to declare it with the worth that it deserves. Is Jesus worthy to open the scrolls and receive all glory and honor and blessing? He is risen. He is risen. He is risen. He is risen. risen And he is worthy. God bless. And you are dismissed. Have a great day.